Glad you guys are here this morning. We'll go ahead and get started and uh, let's pray before we begin. Lord, I thank you again for today and I, I just thank you and I praise you for the scripture. I thank you that we have it in our hands um, to be able to, to look at, to read, to study and, and know that it is your word, uh, to know that it has been written out of love for us to help us know and understand, um, Lord, how to walk with you, how to please you, and and escape your wrath. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that today, uh, Lord, and help us to walk close with you today. And I thank you in Christ's name, Amen. All right. So, in First Thessalonians, we're going to continue in chapter two. Excuse me. Oh yes, I got my my helpers falling down on the job here. Not you. Not you. He had the stack. He did exactly, he did exactly what, yes, he did. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to pick it up in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, excuse me? Uh, yes, yes, thank you. First Thessalonians, all of the commotions got me distracted here. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, last week we talked about verse 13. Today we're going to pick up verses 14 through 16 and, uh, and look at the encouragement um, that, that Paul gives to the followers of Christ in Thessalonica um, and how uh, the comparison that he makes with, we'll see, uh, with other churches and the underlying one is the comparison that he makes with his own life as well. So if we pick it up in verse 14, he says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So when he says brothers and sisters, he includes uh, themselves as as equals in that they're they're being changed by God's word, okay. Um, and I'm going to do a lot of just reading today, uh, but there's also we'll we'll get into some discussion about this as well. Um, anyway, they're being persecuted by their peers, and so he's when he says from he you suffered from your own people. If we picture, go ahead and turn to Acts 17. If we picture in our mind, Trucker and I were just talking like this, that some of us can read something and picture it in our minds exactly how it happens. I'm not one of those people. I'm not very good at it without reading it over and over and over again several times. But uh, anyway, in Acts 17, verses 5 through 9, he gives us a description of what happens. And we'll, we'll, we'll read this and then we'll talk about it just for a minute. He says, but the other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, 
and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So what's happening again, as I said last week, what's happening here is people are hearing the gospel message from Paul and Silas and the other apostles that are with them, the, the, the people that are believers that are traveling with them. They hear the gospel and they're changed by the gospel. And now all of a sudden, when the gospel goes out, does everybody respond to it the same way? When truth about the Bible or about God is spoken, does everyone respond the same way? No, they don't. So what is happening is the, the people that are once gathering together are, are somewhat divided. And so what's happening with the Apostle Paul is the same thing that's happening with Jesus as he's approaching the day of his crucifixion. The Jews keep asking these questions to try and trap him, to try and prove him wrong, to try and distract from drawing people away from them to Christ. And so Paul is doing this, and and what ends up happening is now people who were neighbors and friendly, like Judy and I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) the Jews don't come in and just start telling people and evangelizing for their their place they come in and they talk to the people that are their neighbors and they get them to do the persecuting for them okay yes mm-hmm right Right. 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 So they're they're deliberately and purposely coming in for the for the purpose of causing confusion and division inside the the teaching about Jesus Christ. And so I can't even begin to imagine if I lived in that day and didn't have the scripture in front of me. I can't imagine how I would have reacted. So I don't look at them saying, you know, I would never do that. It it would be difficult for me to look at something like that. And I've lived this way. This has been the law. This is what I've been taught all my life. And now this guy comes in and explains that Jesus is the Messiah. I can't say if I would believe that Jesus really was the Messiah then. So there are times when I thank God I live today that I live today and that I have the scripture in front of me. I pro- man, whew. I think it's possible, right? But at the same time, they were receiving by the greatest uh, affirmation was the word of mouth of reliable people. They were receiving that from them, so they were still getting truth in the best way possible but it was it was still just the same as it is today you either you either accept and love the truth and be saved or you deny the truth 
and, and suffer God's wrath, as we're going to see in, in this passage. Right. They still didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the Mount of Transfiguration and all of those things that they saw and that they experienced, there's, there's, there's a number of writings that say that they didn't understand it until after the resurrection. They got the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden it all came to life uh, and it was understood. So anyway... Um, in the middle of this paragraph here on, in your notes, um, in Acts, what we just read, at the time of Paul's visit to Thessalonica, persecution from the Jewish leaders was carried out by the Gentiles that were living there. This experience is common among all believers whose lives are being changed by God. As you move closer in obedience to God's word, you will find that you have become the object of criticism and attack from people in whom there is no divine life. So one day I was having a conversation with Nico and I said, as you move closer to God, your friends will change. And, and he said, no, they won't. I still love those people. Those are, they're still my friends. I said, no, 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 no. As God changes you, you won't want to do the same things that you used to do. You won't want to be around the same people that you used to be around. And I said, it's not because you're making the conscious choice of, of I don't want to be with you anymore, but you are making the conscious choice of, I want to be with you more. And when that happens, things change. They have to. There's no way that you can move toward Christ and not move away from sin at the same time, if you are moving towards Christ, you are moving away from sin. Uh, and, it's, and it's not that you're moving away from an individual saying your sin. You're moving toward Christ and you really want that person to move with you. But the reality is there's, there's, two, there's two possibilities there. And Paul is offering the same thing to every person as he goes around and preaches the gospel. He's offering that everybody move with him. And move forward uh, to Christ with him. Right. So one thing that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think I think you make a very important point with that is how is this book described? in Hebrews and in Revelation. What is it described as? There's an, at, uh, an inanimate object that comes out of the, the mouth. Say that again? A double-edged sword, yes. So the Bible is described as that. And <laughs> I don't know about you, but there have been times I've gone to the doctor and I've wanted to say, you're not cutting on me. Okay, <laughs> you're not going to cut me up. No, 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 I'll, I'll just deal with what I got. I'm okay. There's times I feel like that. And, and the point that you make um, with what you said is there are times when you read the scripture and as things come to life that need to be changed, 
It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. That double-edged sword has to cut to remove things from within you. And you have to examine yourself with it first. And, and that's, that's important. So anytime that there is uh, an uncomfortable feeling, uh, an uncomfortable desire or temptation even, we look at the Word of God and then He asks us to examine ourselves against the Word of God. And so that's, that's what's taught also in 1 Corinthians 11 that we read all the time before communion. Um, to examine yourself. And it's a continuous, repeated action that takes place as we continue to read the Scripture and grow in the knowledge of Christ. So, as you move closer to Christ, he, he very clearly says you're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience resistance uh, from people who, who you thought and at one time, you know, you walked alongside of. And then on top of that, there are going to be others who as you are walking with Christ, there are going to be others you're going to find that are in the same place and they're going to move in and they're going to want to walk with you uh, and disciple with you. Uh, so anyway, it's easy for Christians to be tempted to think that when we see persecution that God's blessing has departed. That's what's happening in Thessalonica right here. So the apostles countered this lie of Satan by reminding their brothers and sisters that the experience duplicated that of their forerunners in the faith who had turned to follow Christ in Judea. They also suffered opposition from their neighbors and their neighbors were Jews also. So back in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2:14 This is what he's telling them. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. So he's, he's, he's telling them, don't be discouraged if you are being persecuted in this way. And it's obvious that you are being persecuted in this way because in Judea, when they received the gospel message, they were persecuted by the Jews the same way. So don't be down, don't be discouraged by this, but be encouraged that you're not the only ones that are going through the same suffering. So in verse 15, he says this. Um, can't find my place. Anyway, mid-sentence here. The churches that suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile toward everyone. And of course, this is a mid-sentence break right here in these verses as well. Um, we're going to stop right there for just a minute. He's explaining to them that they're not alone in their suffering. Okay? Their persecutors had killed the Lord Jesus as well as the prophets. And if we turn back to Acts again, we read Peter giving... Uh, I think this, I, I just refer to this as the first message ever preached. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way or not. This is, yeah, in Acts chapter 2, um, just, after, uh, just after Pentecost, Peter gets up, he addresses the crowd. It's his first message. I would say it's probably the first message uh, preached by an apostle. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. So anyway, um, if we start in verses 29 and read through 41, we're not going to read the whole message. Um, but we, we read, Fellow Israelites, 
I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And that's the point that he's getting at in 1 Thessalonians 2, that the people he's speaking to, every sinner that is listening, that hasn't accepted the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. Let's go on. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. That includes us right there, all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so now after reading that, Peter gives this address to the crowd and People are cut to the heart, um, they're changed, and they're told, you crucified Jesus. Um, does Peter include himself? <laughs> yes, he does. So he's not just accusing, but he is saying you, and he's including himself in all of, all of them as well. So when we read Stephen's account um, and Stephen's message to the, the Sanhedrin, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 44 of Acts chapter 7. Yeah, because he was a sinner, because he denied Christ and he didn't, you know, he, uh, he kind of went back and forth. And even after this point, you know, he's preaching what Jesus told him to preach. You know, that the gospel message was going to go to people afar off. And, and that means that it's going to go to the Gentiles as well as the Jews who he's speaking to which some in that, in that arena might be kind of rubbed the wrong way. Wait a minute, he's going to the Gentiles? You know, it would rub them wrong. And even later on, Peter still has to be kind of convinced that what Jesus said about that is true. And so when he goes to, the, to Cornelius' house to talk to them and he sees them receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receive Jesus Christ and live for Christ, he's still a little bit shocked. You know, he's still got that culture in him that's, that's about, you know what, the gospel's for the Jews. The Gentiles are, they're beneath that, you know. So you were going to say something? Right. So those same people from those countries would have 
right right yeah i didn't think about that that's true so um <clears throat> stephen in uh, acts chapter 7 verses 44 through 60 we're just again we're just leaving reading the last part uh of his of his message he says our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law <clears throat> with them in the wilderness it had been made as god's direct it would have it had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet said. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Paul was in the crowd. He was listening and Stephen was telling Paul, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised of the heart. And what do we hear Paul telling the people in Corinth about circumcision of the heart? When we study Corinthians, there was always, it seemed like there was, a constant discussion at least about circumcision um, and Paul is saying it's a circumcision of the heart where did he first hear that I'm not sure if this is the first time he heard it but I but we know that he heard it before his own conversion and and it ate him yeah. it burned him I'm, I'm I'm convinced he was in this crowd so anyway uh, you always resist the Holy Spirit verse 52 was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. That's, that's a, I would imagine, a speculation. If you can say at the very least, he heard the words. He heard the words. And he knew enough about the truth to put the two together. 
You know, so I look at sometimes how often does does a person today hear the gospel message and see the gospel in a person's life before they actually truly make a conversion. Right, right. And when you study the scripture, when Jesus does come back, there may be, there will be Jews, you know, because the Jews, the hardening comes off of the Jews and is put back on the, is put on the Gentiles. Um, so there will be, I believe that during the tribulation is going to be an, a massive evangelistic crusade. Um, but, uh, but I don't think it's going to be Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 And so in that moment, Paul had to be a cynic. He had to have seen that and go, I don't care what you say. That's not, that's not God. Right. So he had to have been completely cynical toward, toward what he was seeing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an important, the picture of all of that is very important, is that the people around were able to hear, but they weren't able to see. And, and that experience was a one-on-one with Jesus Christ. And that is, how every, that is how every person comes to Christ, is a personal experience of hearing the gospel, conviction of the heart, and an understanding of who Jesus is, an understanding of who we are. Uh, in perspective to that Um, and I don't have to tell you guys that you guys know that and you understand Um, but anyway yeah yeah so yeah so have you ever tried to play ball play baseball with a coat on or basketball when you're outside yeah Yeah, so. Say, what did you say again? Yeah, Saul is against Christians. Right, right. So, right, so later on in Acts, you'll see Saul, who is called Paul. And what that means is, is in Hebrew, his name is pronounced Saul. In Greek, his name is pronounced Paul. So my name in Spanish is David. My name in English is David. Same guy, same name. Didn't they all look at Saul and say, is this okay? And he, he authorized the killing? Pretty much. He's, yeah, he's, he's going, he's, he's, and I picture, and I, it doesn't say this in Scripture, so don't say this. I picture Paul going, or Saul, here's a good one. Think, use this. This one's got some meat to it, and if you throw it and you get him right here, you're going to knock him silly. You know, so he's, he's I would be he's even more. Yes, yes. That's the terminology, fall asleep, he's dead. They killed him. Yeah, and. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, no, no, I understand that, but I thought maybe God put him in 
No. No, he dies there, and, and Paul is the one later that says, I even killed Christians. And he's referring to Stephen and possibly others, and he's pursuing Peter to bring him to be arrested in hopes that he will be executed as well. So when he goes to Damascus and he actually, you know, gets, has the, the experience with Christ on the road, he's going after Peter and everybody who's following Peter so that he can arrest them, bring them to trial and have them public. He doesn't want to just kill Peter right there on the road. He wants to bring Peter so that everybody in Jerusalem sees this man is convicted and if you follow him, the same is true for you. It's going to happen to you. And so he, he's, he wants to go through the proper procedures to make sure not only that the people who are promoting Christ are executed, but the ones who are considering possibly following Christ and everyone to come out, they want to stop that right there. They want to, they want to end it. And, it. and it can't happen. It doesn't happen. Yes, Judy, did you have your hand up again? Well, it says they all rushed at him. So it says they were gnashing their teeth. So I picture similar to how Peter responded when they came to get Jesus out of the, to arrest Jesus in the garden. What did Peter do? Who's got a knife? And he goes, and I mean, he is mad. He's not, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's, he's, they're not just upset by, you know, they want somebody's blood on the floor. They want somebody to pay. Peter responded that way. He was a teen, he was 19 maybe. Yeah, he was a late teens young man. Probably, yeah, about that age. So, you know, yeah. Right. And it's from that moment that what's described in Acts 1, where the, the gospel message will go throughout the world, this has to happen to get the Christians, the, the, the Messianic Jews, out of Jerusalem to spread the gospel. The persecution is what motivates them to take it to the rest of the world, to get out of Jerusalem because it's been rejected. So... Um, this is this the the picture of repentance in Paul uh, is is just an an amazing picture because um, if we look at go back to First Thessalonians two fifteen again what he says here uh, it, about them killing the prophets and they also drove us out they displease god and are hostile to everyone um, everything that's been said to the jews is extremely offensive to them excuse me wow uh he he did not charge the jews alone for the crime of execution but he included the romans so if you look at first corinthians 2 
And then he also includes everyone else who has ever sinned, who's ever sins that Christ died for. And we'll look at Hebrews 2 as well. So look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 8 first. 1 Corinthians 2. Excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. Just read 6, 7, and 8. Um, Paul is talking to Corinth, and he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, nor we declare God's wisdom a mystery Excuse me, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before the time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so when he's talking about the rulers of this age, all of the cities that Paul has stopped in up to this point before he reaches uh, Greece were Roman-occupied. And so when he talks about the rulers of this age, he's talking about, okay, who's in authority where we live today. And so majority of the people, or there's a large number of people in Corinth that are, uh, they've been run out of Rome because they're Jews, because they want to follow Christ. And so a number of the people in Rome that are followers of Christ are followers of Christ as a result of being in these cities where Paul has come and preached the gospel. Paul has come and been imprisoned and, and a Roman guard has been sitting here listening to the gospel message and have understood uh, in those types of things. So when we go to Hebrews chapter 2 and we read verses 5 through 9, Hebrews 2. And uh, the reason why I'm just pointing these scriptures out are because even though it, it, there's places where it says the Jewish leaders were the ones that actually put feet to the action, it's because of the sin of every person in the world that puts Jesus on the cross. And so that's something that I am just as responsible for as anyone else. So if we read verses 5 through 9 in Hebrews 2, he says, It is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? I'm going to stop for just a second. If you don't have it in your margin, this is right out of Psalm chapter 8. He says, A son of man that you care for him. So in that line right there, I'm going to stop for just a second again, that line right there the passage in Psalms is clarified because if I'm going to have you go home this afternoon and look at Psalm 8 and then look at Hebrews chapter 2 and you'll see uh, the difference there. This is telling us in Hebrews that they're talking about Jesus in Psalm 8. Okay, so he says, you made them a little lower than the angels. You crown them with glory and honor and you put everything under their feet. And so when you read in the Greek text, where it says everything under their feet, it's under him. It's under Jesus Christ. Yes? I was just going to say that in Psalm, it's talking about him being. Right. Paul is saying there was a picture. Of Christ, yes. 
Yeah, so you guys are saying it says their feet? Okay, that's an important uh, contrast there. The reason why is because, like I said, if you study in the Greek language, that it is referring to Jesus Christ. So the passage in Psalm, like Jim says, it's, it's a picture of man, or it's, it's, it's speaking of men, but it's a picture of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about people in Psalm 8, but it's a picture of Christ. So, so it's accurate that he's saying, quote, he's quoting from Psalm, he's saying there, but the meaning of the passage is Jesus, him. Okay? So they're both right. <laughs> I don't say that to say... Yeah, uh, two through six, four through six. Okay, so yeah, if you start re reading at the beginning, you'll catch up to this. Um, but anyway, so anyway, so you can say what you're what you're discussing. Um, second part of verse eight here in in Hebrews two, in putting end everything under him, left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at the present. We do not see everything subject to him, but we do see, and here's the explanation of what, of what you were just talking about. We do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And so that's, that's the explanation of what is being talked about in Psalm 8. Anyway, um, so, <clears throat> back to the context of, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, when you're looking at verse 15, and, and, and Paul is describing, they displease God and are hostile to everyone, Paul is not saying that, that they can't change. As a matter of fact, Paul does not deny that when you look at his life, he was hostile towards God. Um, he displeased God. His repentance, through his repentance, he became the object of persecution. And so as we read verse 16, uh, he says, In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. This is the rest of the sentence. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So, I, I just, I love the humility of, of Paul. I mean, it's hard to, it, sometimes it's kind of hard to see it, but when he says, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, what was Paul doing on the road to Damascus when, he, uh, when Jesus appeared to him? Why? So that nobody would speak to the Gentiles about being saved. And, he's, and Paul is teaching this. Does he disqualify himself in any way of doing what God has told him to do? As long as I'm being obedient, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the devil, and Paul, remember when you went after Peter? Uh, you can't say that. Shh. He's repented. Truth will set you free. And so Jesus Christ, 
I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ has the strength to forgive me if I repent. Christ gives me the instructions to go forward and preach against the things that I used to do, as well as all, thing, all, all other sins, even if I have not been involved. So, Right. 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 Christ in me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So out of verse 16, if we go back to Matthew 23, this is the week of Jesus' execution, and he's giving seven woes to the Pharisees. And Jesus himself tells us that the things that Paul is going through today in, in 1 Thessalonians, that the things that Paul is going through are going to happen. And I wonder, I mean, I, we probably will never know this side of heaven. I wonder if Paul heard these seven woes, if he was there when Saul, <laughs> when Jesus was speaking. You know, it's hard not to question those things. Did he hear this stuff? Um, so when we look at Matthew 23, yeah, yeah, Gamaliel, he would have been there. He would have certainly heard everything. Uh, Matthew 23, verses 29 through 36. Um, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of, righteous, of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with... Would, I'm sorry. Verse 30, I'm going to start that again. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell Therefore, I am sending you prophets, sages, and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Who's he talking about? Peter, Paul, the apostles, <laughs> all of them, all of the above, the following. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Stop it right there just for a second again. What are they doing with Paul? The Jewish leaders are chasing him all over the countryside. And they're trying to stop him. They're trying to find a reason to kill him. They're, they're, they're he's been flogged. He's been uh, beaten. When he was in Philippi, he was put in jail and then walked out, walked out of jail. So when he first arrives in Thessalonica, he's probably still got open wounds on his body. Okay, so let's continue on. Verse 35, And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, son of uh, Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sure. Right, right. So they are literally keeping people from right. And so when we get back to First Thessalonians uh, two sixteen, when he says the wrath of God has come upon them at last, if you back up to chapter one, and we start reading in verse eight, he says the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, and the little hyphen here is kind of like a oh by the way. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from God, turned to God, excuse me, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. And then he resumes his thought here, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So he's talking about that there is nothing left but the coming wrath of anyone who does not surrender, submit to Christ, turn from their idolatrous life, turn from their life of sin, and turn to God. And the offer is humbly given to everyone. And it's resisted by the Jews, accepted by some of the Thessalonian believers, and the ones who do submit and, uh, and accept it are given severe persecution as a result. So I thank you for your attention today. Um, if you have more questions or comments, please go ahead and stick around and, and we'll discuss those things. Thank you.